James chapter 5 tonight in your Bible, James chapter number 5. It's been a great few days and I'm so thankful that I've been a part of this and I want to say thank you Pastor and Dr. Jim for this honor and opportunity to be able to be here in the college and be able to be around the students and that's what really the college is about. It's uh, it's not the buildings, it's certainly not the weather, though I'm not complaining about the weather, I've enjoyed the weather, but it, it's about the students, and it's the students who are embracing and imbibing uh, what is being taught that makes the atmosphere such a wonderful place to be, and, and, uh, and obviously this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for Falls Baptist Church, and, and so it's been good to see some of the uh, church family coming into the sessions and being at the services. And, and it's been great to be able to hear uh, Pastor Shaver preach. And it's just powerful. It's powerful uh, services. And, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a blessing. God spoke to my heart and it's been a help to me. It's always helpful to come and to be up here. And I've enjoyed hearing testimonies. Um, I've enjoyed interacting and listening to your journey, what God's doing in your life. And we want to be able to see God do great things tonight. And I'm, I'm confident it doesn't end tonight, and so I'm well aware of that. But we don't want to miss an opportunity that God has to meet with us and what God wants to accomplish. In my uh, sessions, we've been looking at the book of James. And I think one of the things that has helped me is to be able to see that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's not giving us a checklist of things to do. It's not a checklist, it's a mindset. Remember Paul told, uh, told us in Philippians, let this mind, the mind of Christ, be in us. He wants us to learn how to think and, and see and observe and discern what is happening. And that's what he did with the disciples and that's what James is doing as well. We looked at the first message, the having the right mindset, if we're going to experience what James, I believe, is laying out for us in the book of James in these five chapters, and that is to develop us, to mature us, to cultivate within us a confidence and faith in God where we can be more effective disciples for Him, where we can be all that God would have us to be while here upon this earth. And so that first mindset we talked about in chapter number one is having a right mind. Right mindset, think right about stress, problems. Anybody stressed out tonight? James has great help for us in that regard. And then we looked at Monday night, the right mind and thinking about sin. If we're ever going to develop and walk with God and experience the cooperation with Him for Him to do what He longs to do, we're going to have to think right about sin. And we saw in our next session uh, there and still in chapter number one, the solution to sin, but it's really having the right mind about God, who He is. God's good, and He can only do good to us. His thoughts are only good for us. Everything He gives us is from His good nature. That's all He can do. He's good. And then we talked about having the, the right mind, right mindset and thinking right about this matter of waiting on Him. We want to wait on God. Waiting on God is never wasting time. However, you can waste time when you try to engage in and do the things that maybe you ought to do and try to be what you, you know you ought to be without waiting on God, trusting God, depending upon God to do it. And, and tonight, I'd like for us to be able to look here at 
the end of the chapter, chapter number 5. And uh, notice in verse number 13. If we could, let's go ahead and stand. Verse number 13, James writes, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James is here speaking to us and tonight I'd like for us to close out this, this conference and this awakening looking at having the right mind and the right thought process concerning this matter of prayer. Pray. R.A. Torrey said that prayer can do anything that God can do. Prayer can do anything that God can do. How many have heard that quote before? Would you raise your hand? I have long ago and many times since. And I'm still convicted over my lack of confidence in God through prayer. But the truth is, prayer can do anything that God can do. Tonight I want to preach on this thought. Praying that makes a difference. Praying that makes a difference. Thank you. Please be seated. In 1952, a Princeton doctoral student asked Albert Einstein a question. He said, what original dissertation research is left? And it was said that Albert Einstein said, find out about prayer. Prayer can do anything that God can do. You want to learn to pray so that you can see the kind of prayer that God talks about and the Bible describes praying that makes a difference. I think about James Stewart. James Stewart, the evangelist that was used primarily in the European section of the world and he prayed that God would give him somebody that would accompany him in his ministry. Someone that is he kind of labeled as a praying evangelist. And as he prayed for that, he was trusting God, looking for God to send him someone. And, and one day, a, a man came to him by the name of Herbert Brown. And Herbert Brown said, God wants me to travel with you. And James Stewart said, and I said to God, no way. 
You see, Herbert Brown was a stutterer. He stuttered profusely. It was said that Herbert Brown could not get out a single sentence without stammering and stuttering and spitting upon whoever it was that he was speaking to. And James Stewart, he uh, tried to justify his concerns by saying, God, he'll be an embarrassment to you. He's not going to help us. And God dealt with James Stewart concerning his own pride. He humbled himself and agreed with God and cooperated with God. And, and so Herbert Brown accompanied him. He soon found out that while Herbert Brown couldn't speak a single sentence and, and he was shell-shocked from the war and and whenever he would talk, not only did he stutter so profusely, but he would also pump his leg while he's talking, trying to get those words out. But James Stewart found, here's a man who couldn't talk, but he sure could pray. Stewart said he couldn't speak a sentence without stuttering, but he would pray for hours without stuttering. And it's not just that he could speak without stuttering in his prayer to God, but he could get a hold of God. And Stuart said there were times where he would be praying and, and it became common as Stuart would, would preach and he'd preach in some very um, undesirable places. He'd preach in open air meetings in some very antagonistic crowds and, and kind of um, a, a, he just thrived off reaching those that, that maybe others would avoid and he was going after the hard group but he'd get up to preach and he'd scan the crowd and he's looking for Herbert Brown. And he'd usually see Herbert Brown off to the side somewhere, have his hat off, his eyes closed, but his face facing heavenward. And Stuart said, I just took great consolation in that. And I would say to Herbert Brown, time and again, you pray, I'll preach, we'll watch God work. On one occasion, he was preaching to a group they had invited and tried to corral a group in a certain area near a college. And as he was up on a platform preaching, he looked out and saw Herbert Brown in and, and, and that typical posture. And, and as he's preaching, he sees a group from the college, a, a group of antagonistic uh, individuals come. And, and they begin to make their way through the crowd and push their way through. And, and the leader of that group, and uh, he made his way up to the platform. And he was displaying right then and there on his way up. It was very clear he wasn't for what uh, James Stewart was doing. He wasn't for this message that was going forth. And he was coming and approaching to uh, manhandle James Stewart. When he got close to Stewart, he reared back his fist to take a swing at the evangelist. And right then and there, he was froze. He was froze in that, in that posture with his fist reared back. And James Stewart said, I just stepped back and watched like everyone else. After a moment's time, he was released from that frozen position. God released him and that man retreated back into the crowd and joined the rest and began to listen and many of those were converted that day. And Herbert Brown said, Preacher, you just preach, I'll pray, we'll watch God work. On one occasion, Herbert Brown went to James Stewart and he asked, Would you please pray that God would remove this, this impediment from my life? Would you remove this thorn? And Stewart said, I will pray with you. 
But he said, I would rather have your liberty in praying and not preach than to have my liberty in praying and preaching rather, but not be able to pray. He was saying, I want what Herbert Brown has. He knew how to get a hold of God. And he talked to God as if God and he were on speaking terms, and they were. And God never saw fit to get rid of that speech impediment. Much like the Apostle Paul, God did not let that thorn be removed, that situation be removed from his life. Sometimes God lets us see we can learn more from the, from the thorn that we experience so that we can pray with power than we can learn from the throne in some sensational experience. Herbert Brown knew what James is talking about. Do you want to learn to pray? God wants us to learn to pray. James wants us to be able to pray. And here he gives us insight as to how to pray that will make a difference. George Mueller was once on a ship going from England to Canada. It was Wednesday and he was scheduled to speak on Saturday. And Mr. Mueller said to the captain, I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. And the captain said, well, that's impossible, Mr. Mueller. It's just impossible. The fog has come in so heavily. And there's no way they're going to be able to get through that. And Mueller explained, 57 years, I've not broken an engagement to preach and I'm not planning on it. The captain replied, I'd be happy and willing to do anything that I could to help you. What do you suggest? And Mueller suggested that they go into the chart room and pray. And there the captain said, do you know how dense the fog is? Mr. Mueller answered, no, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. So they went to the chart room and they prayed. The captain later described George Mueller's praying to be like that of an eight-year-old. He said the prayer that George Mueller offered went something like this. I believe it is your will for me to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. Please remove the fog in five minutes. The captain was about to pray when George Mueller restrained him and said, You do not believe that he will. I believe he has. Get up, Captain. Open the door and you will find that the fog is gone. Mr. Mueller kept his speaking engagement and arrived by Saturday. Would you like to be able to pray in a way that makes a difference? George Mueller said, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. I'm afraid that we pray, and I'm guilty of this, that we pray so often in such, in the amount of time we do pray, it's so general. Have you ever stopped to think about the prayers you're praying and how general, Lord, bless this person, Lord, would you bless this and bless me? And, 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 and we were so general that if God does answer it, you wouldn't know if he did. 
That's not the kind of praying that James is talking about. That's not the kind of praying Herbert Brown experienced. That's not the kind of praying that George Mueller talks about. Andrew Murray said, we've become so accustomed to limit the wonderful love and the large promises of our God that we cannot read the simplest and clearest statements of our Lord without the qualifying clauses by which we guard and expound them. You know, Jesus is not only our educator, but he's our example when it comes to prayer. Prayer preceded, prayer undergirded everything that Christ did while he walked upon this earth. And it's very telling that Jesus did not teach his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. Nor did he speak much of what was needed to preach well, but he did say much as how to pray well. Why? Because to know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to man. Power with God is more important than power with man. I believe that Jesus truly loves to teach his children how to pray. And I, I'm discovering dimensions to prayer I've not known before. I feel like I'm just on this journey, this pilgrimage of prayer. And if you haven't signed up for the course, I encourage you to sign up for the course. There's still room. Mark eleven twenty two says, have faith in God. Faith that rests in God is an unwavering trust in his omnipotent power and unfailing goodness. Hudson Taylor faced many impossible situations in his work in China. So he had those words, have faith in God, carved in stone and put over the door of the China Inland Mission. Listen, Deal Moody, as he died, he left his epitaph written on the flyleaf of his Bible. I love this. Deal Moody said, If God be your partner, make your plans larger. Are you praying some big prayers? I mean, there should be some scary prayers, some things that scare you, some things because they're impossible. God wants to be able to. Teach us how to pray so that it makes a difference. Ravenhill says a man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said when the church gives to prayer and preaching their true biblical priority, she is able under God to meet the challenges of every generation. Charles Spurgeon said a prayerful church is a powerful church. Listen, someone said it this way, Sunday morning attendance shows how popular the church is. Sunday night shows how popular the preacher is. But the prayer meeting shows how popular God is. Let me just ask Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry. How popular is God to this crowd? C.H. Spurgeon said, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first evidences of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. We shall never see, Spurgeon goes on to say, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of God's people. And this quote really got to me some time ago. Spurgeon said, believe me, if a church does not pray, it's dead. It's dead. 
I'm saying James wants us to have the right mindset tonight as to how to pray that would make a difference. James has been talking about prayer. He starts his letter off in chapter number one and verse five. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And then he says in verse six, let him ask in faith. And then he tells us in chapter four and verse two, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. In chapter 5 and verse 13, we just read, is any among you sick or afflicted rather? He says, let him pray. In verse 14, is any sick among you? Call for the elders and let them pray. In chapter 5, verse 15, and the prayer of faith. In chapter 5, verse 16, pray one for another. He starts the book and ends the book with the mindset that we must have about prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer. He goes on to say in verse 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now this passage that we just read, it deals with healing. And I firmly believe that our God is still a healing God. And he is a God that, that calls us to this matter of prayer that would heal. The body needs to be healed. There are bodies that need to be healed within his body. And he invites us here to experience that. But it's not just bodies, physical bodies that need healing. There are souls that need to be healed. There are wounded spirits of his people that need to be healed. There's homes that need to be healed. There are minds that need healing. And certainly people's bodies, and, and he includes this, but James is telling us how to pray as to bring about a healing power, a prayer that makes a difference in our bodies, in our hearts, in our home, in our mind, in our spirit. There's a few things, three things here in this passage I'd like for us to see. First of all, notice in verse number 16. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The first thing that precedes, I believe, powerful praying, praying that makes a difference is confession. Confession cannot be a once in a while thing. It can't be like Christmas and it just comes around and you experience it, embrace it, and then it passes on. Confession. Confess your faults one to another. Perhaps the reason we're not seeing more healing as a result of powerful praying is because the confession has been shortcutted. Maybe the reason that our prayers are not experiencing the miraculous and the divine and we're not seeing supernatural or the big things that God would like to do happen is because we're not confessing. Confession precedes the powerful praying. We're great at concealing our sins, but God says you need to confess them. We love to criticize our friends. We, we uh, don't mind castigating our foes, but we are very apt to, co to cover rather our sins and our faults. God doesn't tell us to criticize our friends and castigate our foes, but he does tell us to confess our sin. Someone says to err is human, but to cover up sin is human as well, and God's not for it. 
We don't want to confess our faults. But I'll tell you, there's some definite results that come when we obey what James says here in the Word of God and confess our faults. Have you offended somebody? You say it's impossible not to offend people. We live in such a flaky society. I mean, people are offended that you just got up out of bed. People are offended if you went to work. But the fact of the matter is, when we're talking about a church family here, we need to be very careful and be very aware. Did we say something that wounded? Did we say something that hurt? And James is calling us to a transparency and, and confession, confessing. I'm sorry, you are offended. And that's not the confession that he's calling for. If I did something to you, if never solves anything. It's just a smokescreen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yet 1 John tells us that if we're going to experience that cleansing of the blood so that we can be able to uh, experience powerful praying, it's going to come by way of confession. But we must uncover our sin before that blood can cleanse it. Confession. Who is it that you need to confess to? He tells us confess your faults one to another. So much easier if he would have said, confess your faults to me and me alone. But he's concerned about the body experiencing. He's concerned about those who have been scattered experiencing the, the deliverance of God and the work of God. He, he's wanting them to see prayer that can change and transform not just your life, but your entire trajectory of your life and family. You're going to have to confess. It precedes powerful praise. What happens when you confess? Well, restoration can occur. You can be restored and made right with God. We're not going to pray powerfully until we're right with God. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one for another. And there your home can be, start being healed. Your soul can be healed. Your wounded spirit, you can, you're on your way to healing. But you're going to have to get transparent. You're going to have to get honest. You're going to have to get to the place of being, being willing to, to unload and, in order to be clean. Restoration, but not just restoration, but reconciliation can take place. Maybe you've justified and said, you know, we're not, we're not enemies or anything. But if there's a breach, if there's some kind of a barrier, if there's some kind of animosity, well, you know, we just don't see eye to eye. You call it whatever you want to call it, call it but if Jesus died for it, you better confess it. Or you can hang up trying to pray powerful prayers. It's not going to work. Oh, you can read the powerful prayer, but you're not going to experience the powerful prayer because you're not going to experience God and the life of God. We can sing He is here, but He's not near us until we're willing to trust and obey and confess. Reconciliation, is that necessary? Is that needed? But not only is a restoration back to God and a reconciliation with a brother, but also revival. Revival can come. Let me ask you, do you want revival in your home? Why would you want revival in your house if you don't want it in God's house? 
You don't want your kids to turn out bad. Why are you not concerned about the rest of God's kids? Dr. Culpepper would say of the shame tongue revival that the mark of that revival that was so powerful was not the scores of people being saved, but the scores of missionary leaders that would confess their faults in transparency and unload the truck with each other in transparency. There's where the power came from. So if we're going to pray the prayer that makes a difference, if we're going to experience powerful praying, it starts with confession. He gives us that progression in that order in verse 16. And then he says... Confess your faults in verse 16, one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. That ye pray one for another. You, you confess one to another. If there's something that needs to be made right, there's just this, this agreement. We just have this understanding. We're just at odds. Confess it. Don't dwell on it. Deal with it. And once that confession takes place, then you're ready for the second aspect of this, this uh, uh, um, process to powerful praying, and that is intercession. Then you can pray one for another so that you may be healed, so that there can be restoration, so that there can be reconciliation, so that there can be revival. Now, the confession of a fault is not a call to criticism. It's a call to prayer. And God wants us to pray to Him. God encourages us to pray to Him. And prayer is not preparation for ministry. Prayer is ministry. The effectual, fervent prayer in verse 16. Effectual, fervent. It's the idea of being stretched out. It's the idea of that horse that is stretched out going down, uh, the, uh, down the lane. Or the runner coming across that finish line stretched out trying to reach. And the idea is this being stretched out, this intensity in our praying. When it comes to intercession, when it comes to praying, is there intensity? We tend to be lackadaisical. When pastor calls maybe for a prayer meeting, do you already plan? You're just going to try to get some extra sleep in? Well, that's going to really change things in this world, isn't it? We've already talked about it earlier, but have we forgotten about the men that Jesus asked to pray with him that also found, this is convenient, to get some extra sleep? Jesus was right. They were wrong. They missed it. Intensity. God does business with those that mean business with God. I love what Norman Grubb would say. He would say, good morning, God, I love you. What are you up to today? I want to be a part of it. When we have prayer meetings in here, your pastor calls for a prayer meeting, we ought to, we ought to have that approach. Uh, God, I love you. What are you up to? I want to be a part of this. And that's what the prayer meeting is about. Remember, however, Genesis 32 and verse number 6, Jacob prayed and he got a hold of God. And he said, oh God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's the kind of intensity that needs to be there. That's what is necessary in order for us to intercede. If we're going to pray, that makes a difference. 
If we're going to pray the kind of prayer that is powerful, where we see God do the great and mighty things, the big things, because we're asking God to do the big things, that's why I'm, I'm saying we need to check. Are we just praying the generalities? Because you don't really need to stretch out and do that. You don't really need to get worked up. Just bless us. And uh, what does that look like? I don't know, but, but you know, we can trust God. And God, God's going to bless. He's just going to bless. And he's going to bless all the many missionaries of the world and bless us. No, no, God's wanting to do something. God's wanting to do something big. He's wanting to do something specific. And sometimes we just have this, this uh, I'm, I'm not connected. I'm not, I'm not in tune. And, and sometimes we just have to grab a hold of them in a prayer meeting, in a service and wrestle with them. God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God always means business with those who mean business with him. I've had to pray that way. I tell you, I've gotten on my knees and tried to pray and all the forces of hell come against me and my mind runs this way and that way and, and I get sleepy and I find myself drooling and, and uh, I start saying one thing to God thinking about something else totally different and my knees begin to hurt, my body aches and all kinds of things happen. Has that ever happened to you? Oh good, I feel much better. And the devil will let loose all the artillery of hell to keep me from praying. And then there are times I've just had to come to my senses like Jacob and say, Lord, I'm not going to let you go. If, if I die on my knees, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm staying here until I have a consciousness of your presence till I'm in heaven's throne. I want to tell you, when that begins to happen, it's not too long before I'm there. You know, God does business with those that mean, mean business with him, James is telling us. Stephen Alford said it this way. Pray when you feel like it. And when you don't feel like it, pray until you do. There's truth to that. Richard Blackaby said, you, don't, you do not have to be a spiritual giant before God answers your prayer. We're going to see that here in, in this passage. Yet God expects you to enter His presence with a keen sense of need for His involvement in your life. The prayers of a desperate sinner gain God's immediate attention. So what kind of praying is that intercessory prayer, that being able to pray effectively for others? Well, it's that prayer that is intense, that is serious, that, is, that means I'm hanging on to God for this. But it's not just that, but he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. In other words, it's going to take some clean hands, pure heart, some integrity. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. We need to be clean. Not only is there a confession that has to take place before we can pray those powerful prayers that make a difference, but we must understand that after that confession, it leads us to being able to pray one for another and interceding. And there needs to be that intensity. There needs to be that, that integrity in our lives, being right. But then notice what James does after giving us instruction. He then gives us an illustration. He says in verse 17, Elias, 
That is, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He goes on to tell that he prayed again in verse 18, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know. And there can be a, a recovering of a wayward one. But he gives us an illustration to prove, to demonstrate that what he's saying is true. James is saying that if God heard the prayer of Elijah, when Elijah met God's conditions, that Billy Ingram can be heard by God and God can answer Billy Ingram's prayer when I meet God's conditions. And when you pray meeting God's conditions, you pray God can hear you and God can answer you. And he's trying to give us a demonstration and proof that this will happen. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Elijah. Remember, Elijah is not an extraordinary man. At least it's what the Bible tells us. We know that because he's a man of like passions. In chapter number 18, he met with God. The fire fell, wonderful victory. But in chapter 19, we know he went running from Jezebel. He gets so depressed, he puts his face upon the ground. He asks God to kill him and he prays that he might die. He's just like us. He had his ups and his downs. And James is saying God can use a man like Elijah who was, was thinking wrong at times and, and didn't even want to serve me, didn't want to stay alive. And I answered his prayer and I can do the same for you. A woman asked G. Campbell Morgan, should I bother God with my small request? G. Campbell Morgan said, lady, all requests are small to God. It doesn't make a difference who you are. God can do anything. And prayer can do anything that God can do. That's a powerful truth. Whether Elijah or you or me. And it makes me feel better that if God can answer a prayer for a man like Elijah, then maybe he can answer my prayer too. Look, let's, let's go over. Let's hold your place here. Let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 18. In chapter number 18, notice in verse 42. So Ahab, this is the one that Elijah's been opposing. And remember, Elijah went in and preached the message of judgment to Ahab and, and his uh, leadership, wicked leadership. And then he goes and God begins to, to do a work still in Elijah's life while he's doing a work around Elijah and through his ministry. But verse 42, now it says, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. See what Ahab is doing? Amy Carmichael said that every day we're having to choose between the way of Ahab or the way of Elijah. What is Ahab doing? Well, he's choosing feasting and partying while Elijah's choosing fasting and praying. 
He goes to the place of Mount Carmel because he's going to pray. Elijah was a man who knew how to get along with God. And Jesus told us in Matthew 6 and verse 6, Pray to thy Father which is in secret. A Christian should never let adversity get him down. Except upon your knees. James is illustrating the person of prayer. He's just an ordinary man here. But he found a special place of prayer. He found a place where he could meet God. In verse 42, it tells us that he humbles himself. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people which are called by my name would do what? All right. Let's see if the other um, rest of you can, can join me on this one. We picked one you know. You know this one. If my people which are called by my name would humble themselves. Not only does he find a place where he can get a hold of God, but he's not strutting into God's presence. He's a man bowed down with his head between his knees. He's humbling himself. He's broken before God. You know why he's able to be bold as a lion before Ahab? Because he knew how to kneel before God. He knew how to get into the presence of God. See, the purpose of prayer is not to get the attention of men. The purpose of prayer is to get the attention of God. And he's a man who got alone on his knees before God. And then he tells us in verse 42, and he cast himself down. He didn't just get upon his knees and kneel, but he's, but he's uh, uh, passionate about this. <clears throat> this idea is that he's stretched out. He throws himself down. He means business when he goes to pray. Is there anything in your life you're urgent about where God needs to get through? God's not wringing his hands. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety, but he wants us to get passionate about him, talking to him. This is why James is talking to us about this effectual, fervent prayer, this stretched out prayer of a righteous man. It avails much. It makes a difference. The passion of his prayer. Prayer is seeking. Prayer is asking. Prayer is knocking. You may say, well, I just don't believe the Lord wants all that emotion. I don't believe that the Lord necessarily wants all that intensity. <clears throat> well, maybe you know more <clears throat> how to pray than the Lord Jesus. But let me tell you how he prayed. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Now, prayer is not easy. It's not easy to pray. I'd rather preach an hour than pray for half an hour. Some of our, my congregation would say, yeah, we know that. <laughs> The concentration, the effort, the energy, and the, the spiritual battle that rages. But notice in verse 43, and said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. There's the persistence in prayer. He didn't quit. Don't quit. Here's a thought. No miracle is ever performed in the Bible that not, did not begin in a problem. Are, are, you, are you awake? Now's not the time to pray. We'll pray in just a little bit, I'm sure, but, but don't do it now. Did you know that no miracle in the Bible began but what it was a problem? It's not a bad thing that there's a problem. 
It's, it's a good thing because it's an opportunity for us to talk to God about it, to see what God wants to do about it. Luke 18, 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Could it be that one reason we have great problems is because God wants to show us great solutions, great miracles. He longs to show us the, the power that he has to put on display. I cannot tell you why God makes us keep asking. I cannot tell you why we must ask sometimes um, and just keep asking God. But the Bible does tell us that if we ask, it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. It does tell us in Colossians 4 and verse 2, continue in prayer. Isaiah 30 and verse 18, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Don't quit praying. Don't stop praying. Keep on praying. And notice in verse 45, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was great rain and Ahab rode and, and went to Jezreel. And we find that what happens is, here's the miracle. The miracle happens. The rain comes. Many Christians don't spend much time praying, I believe. Just like there was a time I scarcely prayed. And it was simply because I didn't believe that I was going to see the answers to prayer. Oswald Sanders said something very pointed to this. He said, it is easy to become a fatalist in reference to prayer. It's easier to regard unanswered prayer as the will of God than to reason out the causes of the defeat. What might be some of those reasons for defeat? Maybe a need for confession. Maybe a need for seriousness and meeting with God. Oswald Chambers had at least one suggestion to this defeat. He said when he wrote, Our Lord in His teaching regarding prayer never once referred to unanswered prayer. He said God always answers prayer. If our prayers are in the name of Jesus, that is in accordance with His nature, the answers will not be in accordance with our nature, but with His. We are apt to forget this and to say without thinking that God does not always answer prayer. He does answer every time. And when we are in close communion with him, we realize that we have not been misled. End of quote. To think that the God of the universe wants to answer your prayer and mine like Elijah is a staggering thought. Let me ask you this. Are you even praying? And if so, are you praying prayers that are making a difference? Are you praying big prayers? Are you praying prayers that are as big as God? Prayer can do anything. That God can do. And God can do anything. 